morning and welcome back to Alger Assembly of God and welcome to the final installment of What If? We're quitting. We're giving up on What If? Okay, not really, but we are completing. If we were to literally, and I just use that word if again, if we were to uh, speak on every single if in the Word of God, we would probably be in this series until the Lord returned and then some. So uh, we're going to end right here today, but we have been looking at a number of these if scriptures. What would happen if we lived a certain way? What would happen if we lived according to the Word of God? What would happen if, if we developed some of these principles in our hearts and in our lives? So we've looked at the fact, what would happen if we were truly living spirit-led? If we truly allowed the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to direct us, what would that look like? What would happen if we were forgiving as God had forgiven us? If we forgave others the way God forgave us? What would happen if we were to handle our resources, our finances, according to God's word? What would happen? What would happen if we faced difficulties? And we saw, we saw that that's a 100%. We're going to. So since we face difficulties, how ought we to handle them? What would happen if we were living as salt? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And some of you, you took that to heart, and all week and all month long, you've just been shaking out that salt from the salt shaker, saying, yes, I'm the salt of the earth. A little more for me, please. Some of you are just putting some pepper on just to be contrary. We looked a couple weeks ago, what would happen if God healed our nation? Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name, and we, we looked every, every, basically every word, every phrase of that powerful verse, what would happen? Then last week, what would happen if we truly believed all things are possible? So these are some pretty powerful if scriptures. We're going to look at one more today, and and then we'll uh, continue. But as we conclude this particular series, the, the final if is this. What would happen if we didn't give up? So that that's that's the in a, in a quirky way. That is the one we're giving up on this series. We're, we're going to end with that. But what happens? And what would happen if we did not give up? Have you ever given up? You ever felt like you wanted to give up? And instead, needing to just keep going and going and going. Need to be a little bit more like that Energizer Bunny, right? The commercial from years ago that they keep bringing out and keep bringing out. That commercial keeps going and going and going. I found a number of individuals... These are some rather odd endurance records. So let, let's see if any of you are up for a challenge. You, you, want, you want to challenge some of these. The longest time standing. A man in India stood for 17 years. He leaned against a plank to sleep. I'm not sure why you'd want to do that, but he did for 17 years. How many of you know CPR? Okay, Those of you with your hands raised, uh, keep them up. Those of you without them, take a look. You might need to see them. You know, if, if you're in trouble, find one of them. They, you might need some help. 
Okay, this is the longest time doing CPR. There were two teams from England who did CPR on a dummy for 144 hours. Anybody want to tackle that one starting today? No. The longest non-stop ocean swim by a woman, 122 miles from Mexico to Cuba, 38 hours and 33 minutes. How many of you, you just get in the bathtub and you're tired? Much less to try to actually swim. All right? Typewriting. You know, that, that ancient, uh, uh, you know, decades and, and centuries old machine. It was magical. You, you put a piece of paper in, you, you hit letters, and, and magically letters appeared on actual paper. That, that machine? A man spent 16 years typing the numbers one to a million. It took him 19,990 sheets of paper. I'm not sure. On each of these individuals, I'm wondering what kind of a, a life it takes place that you're going you're to spend 16 years typing numbers. What if he, I wonder if he messed up. Ah, oh, back to the beginning. <laughs> How about this? The longest time someone has balanced on one foot. There was a man from India balanced on one foot, 76 hours and 40 minutes. That's a pretty good balance. And this, the longest distance walking on their hands. How many of you have trouble walking on your feet? Okay. This is someone who actually flipped upside down, walked on their hands in 10-hour stints, so 10 hours at a time. A man walked 870 miles over the course of 55 days. I mean, every single one of these, for all different kinds of reasons, we listen to and we say, you're crazy. Man, I would have given up a long time before that. I mean, on the typewriter, there's no way I would, you know, make it up to a million. I'd be frustrated and trying to get that paper in the typewriter. I mean, every single thing we would say, oh, I'm done. And many times that's the way that we are in life. You ever feel like, man, I'm just done. I've had it. I want to give up. It's too hard. The encouragement this morning is, what would happen if we didn't Give up. What would happen if we kept going and going in the power of God and his love? Charles Spurgeon said this, By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. <laughs> that snail kept going and going. It didn't give up. It didn't quit. It eventually got there. I like that. So I'm not necessarily into the endurance that we were looking at from some of those crazy endurance record holders, but the endurance, the sticking to it, the keep going no matter what in the Christian walk, that's what we're looking at this morning. So I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, one verse. Our verse of the day, Galatians 6, 9, this is the if verse let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Let us not become weary in doing good. You ever gotten weary? Weary in your, in your physical body. Weary in your spiritual walk with God. Weary about all the stuff that you face. He says, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll receive, uh, reap a harvest if we do not give up. So first of all, let's take a, a look at a, a few reasons as to why sometimes we do give up. We, we like to think, but man, we just keep going and going and going. But many people at some point in time have quit, have given up. And maybe you at times have felt like quitting, giving up. These might be a, a handful of reasons why. Number one, many times we feel alone. Maybe you feel alone. Sometimes that happens physically in that you feel alone without others around you. Sometimes that's the, the fact spiritually in that you just feel it's hard to continue serving God when I'm the only one. Maybe you, you feel like Elijah, right? 1 Kings chapter 18 Elijah was on Mount Carmel with all the prophets of Baal, and he said something like this, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Baal has 450. Remember, that was the, the ultimate showdown there on Mount Carmel. Elijah was saying, man, sometimes it, it seems as if I'm the only one. Maybe you've felt that way over time. Maybe it's you and your family. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family. And it's hard to continue to seek God and serve God and follow God when the household does not. We saw a lot of this certainly in, in children's ministry and youth ministry. In our many years, you would see young people who would want to come. Maybe they get dropped off by their parents at church or they would make their way to church. And at church, you'd have a, an hour or two a week to try to pour in and try to invest into their lives. Many of you as teachers and Sunday school leaders and boys ministry, girls ministry, children's and youth. Over the years, you've seen the very same thing. You're trying to pour Jesus into them. And what happens? They go home to a home without God in it. And they're, they're trying to live for God, but they feel alone. Maybe you've seen it. Or maybe at some point that's described how you felt spiritually or, or just sometimes that's how you have felt physically by not having as many people around you. And so it seems a little easier just to kind of quit, just to kind of give up. Many times people do that. Maybe you felt that way in the workplace, in the school system, in your, in your walk through the school system or college system or your, your job or your workplace, the people that you are around, maybe you felt as if you're, you're the only one that's seeking God. You're the only one trying to follow God. And everybody else, man, it seems like they were against God. It made it a, a, a challenge. It made it difficult to keep going for God. Everybody else seems to be against those decisions that you're making. 
going to church instead of going out with them on a Friday or Saturday night, Sunday. And so all of these situations, you, you feel as if you are the only one. Reality is, you're most definitely not alone. Many times it feels that way. Sometimes when it comes to uh, young people at school, sometimes when it comes to uh, co-workers at the job, you would be amazed and surprised. You know, you're, you're out of school for years, and all of a sudden you find somebody who maybe in a very shy way is a Christian. You didn't know. Somebody at, at the job, somebody in the, the workplace, somebody down the street. But many times people are, are led to or, or feel discouraged to give up because they feel as if I'm the only one serving God. Why else do people give up sometimes? Well, very simply, life is tough. Life is hard. We talked about that a, a few weeks ago. What if life is difficult? And we said, yes, it will be. And everybody smiled and said, wow, you're so encouraging this morning, Pastor Mark. I came to church to, to be encouraged, and you said, yes, be encouraged. You will face hardship. Get ready. Everybody left church going, Yay, I think. Life is hard. Life is tough. You and I have faced it. We've experienced it, whether it's in our, our, our spiritual walk with God, whether it's in our, our physical bodies, in our relationships, in our finances. Whatever the case might be, we encounter some hardships. And when that happens, it's challenging to keep going in God. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've seen family members. Maybe you've seen friends or coworkers or others that they kind of gave up on God. They kind of quit following and quit serving because life got too hard because of the financial issues, because of the health issues. I mean, if God was really a God, why wouldn't he heal? Why wouldn't he this? Why wouldn't he that? And little by little, Maybe you or maybe someone else has walked away from, given up on God. Jesus said you will have trials. He also said, take heart, I. Jesus said he has overcome the world. He's not guaranteed that we would have a perfect life, but he's guaranteed to be with us in the midst of it. But Sometimes when life isn't perfect or when life is, is difficult as we know it can be, Many people can quit. Many people can give up and stop going forward in Christ. You might feel alone. Life most certainly can be tough, but don't quit. Don't give up. Why else do people many times give up? Because sin is tempting. Sin is tempting. Many people who have formed their walk and formed their life with God have walked away because they've gotten wrapped up and entangled in a life of sin. Sin is tempting. And you know, the enemy is very good at making it appear even more appealing. Word of God is clear that sin is tempting, that sin is pleasurable, for a season. The Bible is very honest and clear. The, 
God in his word is not trying to, you know, pull the wool over us and say, oh, you know, sin is, sin doesn't feel good. He says sin is pleasurable for season. But that short season many times leads into a longer season, leads into a longer season. Maybe you've seen individuals who had started their walk and started their life with God, or or maybe you've looked at some of your own situations over the years, and as you have, or as they have gotten wrapped up in a sin, they begin to be more and more entangled in the life of sin and less and less about the life and the walk with God. I mean, everybody's doing it. Why not you? It's no big deal, so why not take part? Whether it's taking part in what others are doing at school, in the workplace, the job force, our family situations, the temptation of sin is strong. I mean, why be honest about money and finances? Why be honest on tests at school? Why study if you can just steal the answers off of somebody? Why be honest on your taxes? I mean, there's no tax agent with you while you're following it. I mean, why follow through with what God's word has to say with treating people? Why follow through with what God's word has to say about a life of purity and holiness? Let's just take part in what everybody else in the world does. So many times people feel alone. Many times they encounter a life that is hard and tough, and in the midst of it, they are tempted beyond measure with sin and sin and sin and sin, and it can get easy to be caught up into it, following after the sin rather than following after the Savior. Don't give up. It's a final thought. No doubt there's more. Maybe you've got some that you would want to add, but there's a number of reasons many times people can give up. Fourth one is this, a comparison to others. We live in a very comparison-oriented, results-oriented society. Now, in many things, it's pretty easy to, to figure out. If you're running a race, you know who crossed the line first. The one who did gets the medal or the trophy or the certificate You know, if you're playing a game of football or a game of basketball or any kind of sport, there there are rules that govern who wins and who loses. Sometimes you get a little lucky. Can I get an amen from all those Buckeye fans? Okay. (laughs) But you know, whoever has the most points on the scoreboard at the end, that's the one who wins. And so you can kind of compare how many wins and losses and, I mean, if you're going to catch fish, it's it's the the fish that's the longest or the fish that's the heaviest. If you're shooting golf, it's the opposite. You don't want the high score, you want the low score. There's, There's all kinds of rules that govern how you compete. But it's a little harder in in the spiritual world. How do we know where we're where we're at and where we're functioning? Is is it just simply a matter of How many times do I go to church or how often do I read the Bible or how many minutes do I read or how how long do I pray? Sometimes when it comes to our spiritual walk, we're, we're not sure where we're at and we start looking at other individuals and wondering, comparing ourselves to others. And when we start comparing, 
You're always going to find somebody to say, wow, I'm just not like them. I might as well just quit and give up now. Do you think, boy, there's just no way I'd be able to have that life with God, that walk with God like so-and-so over here. And sometimes in comparisons, we get our eyes on people and we're trying to figure out a way to, to rank or to justify where we're at. And sometimes comparison with others is, is a challenge. Maybe you, you grow weary in the midst of your walk with the Lord. It doesn't seem like things are happening. Why aren't my prayers being answered? I mean, so-and-so over here in the church, man, they pray and look, God does this and God does that and God blesses this and God heals that and God... Why are their prayers getting answered and mine aren't? We're trying to, you know, look at something that's observable. In sports, it's points. We're grasping at everything in our, in our spiritual walk, trying to figure out our comparisons. We don't need to compare ourselves one to another. We're simply to, to be who God has called us to be, learning and growing in Him. So, I'm sure there's more. I'm sure you've come up with a bunch more. You're probably thinking of some more. Here's a handful of ways why many times over the years, people quit, people give up, people get discouraged, and people don't continue in Christ. So what do we do about it? How can we keep going? How can we not quit? I'll share with you four thoughts from the Word of God this morning. Number one, we can remember the biblical examples. We can look to God's word and we can see, certainly from Jesus as well as other individuals, how they faced some of the difficulties and challenges and hardships that we have and how they continued. They didn't give up. Certainly we can look to Jesus Christ as our pattern, as our example Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says this, Consider him, meaning Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author is saying, think about Jesus. And many times we look to Jesus and we say, man, he was perfect. He was sinless. He was spotless. I could never face that. I could never be that. The writer of Hebrews is saying, consider Jesus he endured and faced all kinds of opposition, but didn't lose heart. He kept going to the plan of the Father. Understand, it didn't say that he enjoyed opposition. What did it say? He endured it. I don't know any of us that enjoy opposition. But the pattern, the model, the example is we can endure. We can keep plodding through even in the midst of difficulty, hardship, and opposition. We can count and consider Jesus Christ as our model, Jesus Christ as our example. Keep our eyes on him. Not the comparison of the person next to us, the person across the sanctuary, that, that person in our family, our job, our, our school, our neighborhood. Consider Jesus Christ as our model. Jesus endured far more than you and I could ever imagine. We're coming up on Thanksgiving, we're coming up on Christmas, and, and for Christmas we, we think about Jesus as the little baby in the manger. And that's true, but don't forget about what he experienced 
on the cross, all that he went through for you and I, and he endured that. All of the opposition, all that was done for you and for me. And you can look at individual after individual after individual. Joseph. Joseph had a piece of cake life, right? Joseph in the Old Testament. I mean, his brothers loved him. Everybody thought he was the best until he started having those dreams and they threw him in the pit and sold him into slavery, their own brother. Then God blessed and prospered him in Potiphar's household until Potiphar's wife put the moves on him and had him landed in prison. I mean, situation after situation, in the midst of it all, Joseph persevered and endured. Think about Paul the Apostle. Paul wrote about all that he had gone through, the uh, opposition that he had faced, the whippings and the beatings and being left for dead and shipwrecked. And I mean, all that Paul went through is incredible. And yet he did not give up. He continued on in the power of God. We referenced earlier about the, the alluring nature of sin. That's a quote from Hebrews about Moses. Think about Moses' example. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. He chose to suffer affliction rather than enjoying the pleasures of of sin. Jesus and Joseph and Paul and Moses, there are a lot of biblical examples that show us, yes, many times you can feel alone. Yes, many times life gets hard, but you can continue in God to keep going, to not quit, and to not give up. Remember the biblical examples that God gives us in his word. Second, how do we get going, keep going, and not quit? We've got to give up on our sins. We said many times people can get wrapped up in their sins, and that causes them to stop. We've got to give up on our sins. There's sins, there are sometimes habits or weights or hindrances. The Bible talks in Hebrews about even hindrances that can weigh us down. There might be some things we've got to give up, free up some of those weights, some of those burdens, some of those sins, some of those hindrances that keep us from pursuing and seeking and following after God. And we looked at individuals who stood for many hours and swam for many hours and all of those endurance records. I mean, even the people who run short distances and track and field. How many of you have ever seen somebody run in a winter parka and snow boots. Maybe just if you're playing in the snow. I mean, there's a reason why track and field is held in the summer and downhill skiing is held in the winter, right? There's a reason why those are where they are. The runners don't run in parkas. They don't run in big boots. They, they run with as light of a clothing as they can. I mean, 
Some of these sports companies, whether it's Nike or Reebok or Puma, their shoes, their gear, their outfits, their uniforms, they are specifically created to be light. You think, well, what's the big deal? I mean, a, a jersey is a jersey, right? A pair of shorts is a pair of shorts. You might think that. But a handful of ounces here or there makes a difference. The swimmers, like a Michael Phelps in the pool, I mean, they don't wear a whole lot to begin with, at least the guys. <laughs> the ladies with their, with their one pieces, they have certain technology in those outfits, certain technology in the, the little head cap or hat that they wear. It's all about being a light. It's all about being aerodynamic as you're running or aerodynamic as you're slicing through the water. The goal is what? To get rid of any weight, to get rid of any hindrance, and to make it as easy as possible to run or swim or whatever that sport might be. And yet many times in our walk with God, it's as if we're running a race or swimming in a race wearing a winter parka and snow boots. As we've allowed sin after sin after sin to grab a hold of and attach to our lives. In addition to the sins, Hebrews 12 says, we're to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and run with perseverance the race that is set before us. So weight and sin, some translations talk about sins and hindrances, leading us to understand there are some things that might not necessarily be sin, but not, might not necessarily be good our spiritual walk with God. Might not be a sin, but it could be a hindrance that takes us away from our walk, our race, serving the Lord. So we've got to give up on, get rid of the sin, get rid of the weights, get rid of those burdens, and seek God in a, in a life of purity. Remove the weights so we can follow Jesus Christ. Thirdly, what ought we to do? We remember the biblical patterns and examples. We give up on the sins. And then thirdly, we've got to change our focus. We've got to focus not just on the here and now, but focus on our eternal reward. Galatians 6, 9, as we read, said this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up the proper time. That's later. Doesn't necessarily mean right now. We looked at Moses in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, he esteemed the reproach of Christ and greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to his reward. He was looking down the road at the riches at the honors, at the rewards, at whatever it is that God would have for him rather than the benefits to the flesh of the here and now. Isn't that hard to change our focus? Because don't we, we typically like the here and now? I mean, why wait for dessert later if we can have dessert now? I mean, you say you'll give me two pieces of cake later, or one piece now? How about one piece now and one piece later? 
I mean, we don't like this waiting. We, we don't like thinking about what's down the road. Give me something that I can be assured of right now. And the focus of our eternal reward is knowing God is preparing certain things for us as we are living for and serving and faithful to him. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. He says, we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed, transformed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, we, we look at a scripture like this and we like to just jumble up the words. We believe that we're not facing a slight momentary affliction, right? Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that I'm going through, it's not slight and it's not momentary and it's a whole lot more than an affliction. Instead, we think about the eternal weight. We say, I am facing this eternal weight. And then we flip and say, maybe, just maybe, there will be a slight something for me in heaven for the Lord. See, we're getting them flipped. We're getting them backwards. Paul says what we are facing is a slight and momentary affliction. Now, be assured, Paul is not saying that what you're facing is nothing. I mean, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. He's saying in comparison of the weight of glory, in comparison of what is prepared for us, it is as if it is slight and momentary. How many of you, you know, you face something or you've experienced something that was just, man, it was incredible. You say, I, I can't believe that this was like, this was the best day of my life. You ever had a day like that? You went somewhere, a, a trip, a vacation, a, a family, something. Oh, this is the best day of my life. Would you literally say that in comparison to your first day in heaven? Probably a little bit of a difference, right? In comparison, that best day ever would be slight and momentary when compared with the eternal glory and splendor of heaven. In much the same way, I believe Paul's saying, listen, Life is tough. Life is hard. But the stuff that we are facing, it is slight and momentary in afflictions in comparison for the eternal weight, the eternal glory, all that Christ is preparing. So we've got to change our focus. We're focused on the here and now, and we're focused on all of the stuff that's temporary. And it hurts, and it's hard, and it's tough. Yes, but let's make sure that our focus is on the Lord. Let's make sure that our focus is on what is being prepared for us and how we are preparing for the future, for our walk with God in heaven. Change our focus. And finally, one of our, our favorite topics, one of the favorite things we just love to do is we've got to trust God's timing. You see, in Galatians 6, 9, what did Paul say? He said, we will reap a harvest at the proper time. Now, Paul, why did you have to go do that? Why did you have to go and, and talk about the timing of God? I mean, couldn't you have just said, you will reap a harvest guaranteed whenever you want it? 
Whenever you're good and ready, just say, God, I'm ready. Ding, ding. Raise my hand like I want to refill on water. I want to refill on my pop. Ding, ding. God, I'm ready. He said, you'll reap a harvest at the proper time. We're faithful. We don't give up. God has a time for everything. Ecclesiastes writes about that. A time for everything. Everything is beautiful in its time. The day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Oh, we don't like that scripture either, right? Now you've heard about the individual. He was, he was reading that scripture and, and you know, talking, uh, talking with the Lord. This made-up story. But he, he meets the Lord. He says, well, a day is like a thousand years. So that, that probably means like, you know, a second is like, you know, hundreds of years to you. God says, well, yeah, I, I guess so. Well, it probably means that like, like a million dollars is, is probably like, you know, a penny to you. Oh, well, probably so. So the man, he puts two and two together and he's coming up with four. He says, so God, <laughs> can I have a million bucks? God turns to him and says, sure, just a second, just a second. We want our time. We don't want God's time. And it's, it's one of those things we see all throughout the word of God, all throughout scripture. It's trusting in God's timing. And, and day after day, it's a challenge for us when it comes to trusting and when it comes to timing. Because we want everything and well, we, we want it now on our time. We want to be healed now. We want the restoration of our relationships to be completed now. Finances provided now. Bodies healed now. I mean, everything we want, we want it now. Because about everything else in the world, we can get now. A couple generations ago, microwave was big stuff, right? You didn't need to to open up that big range oven, pop it in the microwave. Oh, things were so much quicker, so much faster. In today's culture, microwave seems ancient. Way too long. Three minutes for popcorn? What, are you crazy? I can get in my car, drive to McDonald's, go through the drive-thru and be home before that bag of popcorn is done. What, are you crazy? And you go through that drive-thru with the convenience of just sitting in your air-conditioned or your heated vehicle, driving around a little building and lowering your window and passing some money and getting food. And you get frustrated if it takes you two and a half minutes instead of two minutes to get through. Because we want it now. Just about a, maybe a generation or so ago, internet was dial-up. How many of you had dial-up in your home? Kim and I were just married. We were in Galleon, first little house. We had some dial-up internet on this big tower of a computer. And you'd, you'd plug that phone line in. If you're on the computer, you couldn't use your phone line because it'd have to make all those sounds and noises to connect to the internet. And you'd wait and wait. And here's some more squeals and, and noises and finally, you'd be connected. Now today, through tablets, cell phones, so many with smartphones, the power of the computing in our smartphone blows away computers that generations ago, even just a handful of years ago had. I mean, 
in high school, I, I loved reading the newspaper every day. USA Today. So they, had, they had national news. I could track my sports teams every single day. During my lunch break, I'd go and I'd check out the paper. I'd read the sports section so I could see whether my team won or lost. Or maybe we could wait till the news at night. Maybe if the game's over in time, we'll know. Do we have to do that today? Do we have to wait till the next morning's newspaper? Do we have to wait till the evening uh, news on your computer, on your tablet, on a smartphone, wherever you might be, you can pull that out and you can see pitch by pitch, snap by snap of a football game, shot by shot of a basketball game, any single game at any point in time up to the second as it's happening. We want it now. And then we come to God. And we read about that at the proper time, we'll receive this and reap this harvest if we don't give up. And we say, God, at the proper time, the proper time is now, God. That's what many times we say. What many times we feel. What many times we want. But we've got to trust God and trust in his timing. If we don't get what we want when we want it, we're often tempted to quit give up because of all those other things because we feel alone because life is hard and because we're comparing ourselves to others and it seems like other people have more stuff or other people are having more prayers answered and other people this and other people that it's just not happening the way that we see or we think we've got to trust God and we've got to trust in his timing we're going to go through hardships. We're going to go through difficult times. We're going to go through situations that we don't know how to face. How will we get through them? How will we continue? By faithfully going. Remembering those biblical examples. Giving up on our sins. Changing our focus. And trusting God's timing. I read about a young woman who had gone to her mother. Was sharing about how hard life was she didn't know how she was going to make it she wanted to quit she wanted to give up tired of fighting tired of struggling tired of the relationship challenges tired of the financial challenges tired of the physical challenges seemed as as one problem was being solved another one was being created her mother took her to the kitchen filled three pots of water placed each on a high heat. The pots came to a boil. In the first one, she, she placed some carrots. In the second one, she placed an egg. And in the third one, she placed some coffee grinds. And she let those sit there for a while, let them boil for a time and did not say a word. After a number of minutes, she turned off the burners, fished the carrots out of the first pot and placed them in a bowl, pulled the eggs out of the second one and placed them on a bowl and ladled the coffee out and placed it into a cup, coffee cup. So she turned to her daughter as if, ah, we're done. And she says, so what do you see? <laughs> she says, what do I see? I see carrots, eggs, and coffee. 
Her mom brought her a little closer and looked and asked her to, to touch and to feel these carrots. She did. She noticed that they were soft. She then asked her to, to take one of those eggs and, and, and break it. So she took an egg and cracked it on the counter, and sure enough, it was hard-boiled. Finally, her mom asked her to sip the coffee. The daughter smiled as she sipped and smelled and tasted the great aroma of this coffee. The daughter looked up to her mother and says, what does it mean, mom? Her mother explained each and every one of these objects faced the exact same adversity, boiling water. Yet each of them reacted and responded in a different reaction. The carrot went in strong and hard and unrelenting. But after being subjected to boiling water, it softened and became weak. The egg went in fragile. Its thin outer shell had protected that soft liquid interior. But after sitting through the boiling water, the inside became hardened. The ground coffee beans were unique, however. After they were placed into the boiling water, they had changed the water around it. Which one are you? She asked her daughter. When adversity comes, when adversity knocks, when you feel like quitting and giving up, which one are you? The carrot, the egg, or the coffee? Are you the carrot that seems strong, but with pain and adversity, you wilt and become soft, losing your strength? Are you the egg that starts with that malleable heart, but changes with the heat? Maybe after a serious physical situation, a serious relationship situation or financial matter, maybe you become hardened in your heart. Maybe the shell looks the same, but you on the inside have become bitter and tough. Or perhaps, she said, are you like the coffee bean? Where the bean actually changed the hot water, the very circumstances that brings out the pain. When the water gets hot, it releases the fragrance and flavor of your life. If you're like the bean, when things are at their worst, you get better and you change the situation around you. When the hours are darkest and the trials are at their greatest, do you elevate it to another level? Are you changed by your surroundings or do you bring life and flavor to them. Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? You see, each and every one of us will face some boiling water situations of life. It's going to be hot. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. Sometimes life is that way. Are we going to keep going? And in the power of God... Allow him to do his work in us. That's a question for you and for me. Paul says, as he writes in Galatians, don't become weary, for we'll reap a harvest at the proper time. Not your time. We'll reap a harvest at the proper time if we do not give up. I encourage us. I encourage you. 
not to give up. 